Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio, and we're also Streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And good morning, everybody. This is Ray Hanania here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News Newspaper. It's Wednesday, August 25, 2021. It's 8 a.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be talking uh, with uh, two guests. Uh, first, Stephen Butler, who is the uh, Asia Program Coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists. He's joining us now. Uh, he's worked as a journalist throughout Asia, writing for the Financial Times and the Christian Science Monitor from South Korea in the mid-1980s before joining the staff of the Financial Times and reporting in Southeast Asia, London, and Tokyo, including regular reporting visits to China. In segment two, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to discuss the situation more broadly in Afghanistan with Arab news reporter Zahid Hussein, who recently wrote a detailed and lengthy, and lengthy spotlight on what's happening to the people there. Just terrible what's going on in Afghanistan. Welcome to the program, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Listen, um, I was on your page at the Committee to Protect Journalists, and I saw that number at the very top when you go to Afghanistan. 55 journalists have been killed there. And just recently, there were raids of by the Taliban of two journalist homes. It doesn't give me confidence that things are going to go well. Is there what kind of concerns does the Committee to Protect Journalists have? You know, it's a very uncertain environment right now. Um, and, and we don't really understand the degree to which there is coordination between the Taliban leadership, which says that it's in favor of free press or whether they mean it. And then, you know, the, the uh, Taliban on the ground, the, the Taliban have gone searching for certain journalists. They've, they've gone through houses. Uh, the two cases you mentioned were just the most recent. And we've had others. We've had one incident where the Taliban knocked on the door and pushed their way in. The journalists escaped out the back and they fired it. They were firing their weapons at him. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, it's very concerning. And uh, we, we just don't know how far uh, it's, it's, uh, this, that they're going to stay on this path. But it's very worrisome. Is it uh, journalists across the board, or are they targeting like local? I mean, I'm not going to say targeting, but does it seem the problem is more with local journalists uh, as opposed to international journalists? Do we have a sense about what the concerns might be in terms of that? You know, it's both. Um, well, when you say international journalists, they're not. They haven't been targeting, you know, uh, foreigners, uh, non-Afghans who have been sent in so much. There are journalists. Uh, you know, from the outside, not very many, but they've continued to operate. Uh, certainly people who worked for foreign uh, news outlets are in jeopardy. But uh, the people who we are dealing with, you know, for the most part are Afghans who work for uh, Afghan news outlets, uh, who often made, you know, re uh, critical reports on the Taliban. And uh, they've been scrubbing their social media accounts, trying to get rid of that. But people remember, people know the yeah. history 
of some of these people. They're, they're well-known in, in Afghanistan. And, and that's why I felt this segment was probably going to be the most important that we're doing because it really tells you about someone or an organization, uh, how they deal with the media. I mean, it's one thing to be upset about criticism. It's another thing to go and intimidate and bully. Um, so it's hard. I mean, from my perspective, I, I'm very concerned about the Taliban being here in the U.S., um, you know, the 20th anniversary of September 11th, everything we've learned about the Taliban, everything we've been taught about the Taliban uh, is disconcerting. Although there are people that have argued with me that, um, you know, there's a different group. They're going to be different. They're going to change. But I think the bell, the, I guess the canary in the coal mine is what how they treat journalists. I mean, that's uh, going to be significant for us in terms of which direction this whole situation moves. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that Afghanistan has changed in these last 20 years, and the Taliban have been out in the, in the, in the countryside. Uh, the cities have grown a lot. Uh, they've become more modern. Uh, there's a modern uh, media infrastructure. Uh, people are used to having access to news and entertainment uh, that's uh, provided by you know, independent media outlets. Uh, I think it's, it's encouraging to see that uh, some of the biggest news, the Tolo news, which is uh, maybe you know the, uh, the most widely watched news source, they've allowed that to continue. And Tolo says they're uh, continuing their news reporting just, just as I always have. Uh, there was a, a Taliban uh, uh, you know, spokesperson who got on a live you know, TV broadcast interviewed by a woman journalist. So right. you know, there are certainly some positive signs. We just don't have a sense of if the floodgates open for uh, free media and the Taliban is subject to a lot of harsh criticism, which they deserve for sure, um, how are they going to react? Um, how are they going to tolerate that or are they going to try to clamp down on it? You know, and, and it, unfortunately, there are a lot of examples of other countries in the regions that are not tolerating the free press very much. Right. And so they have a lot of uh, examples they can imitate. Yeah. And um, I, I guess that, you know, we're, you know, the U.S. is still there, although I know President Biden has said he wants everybody out by August 31st. It seems like he's really rushing. He, he wants to meet the deadline that he set. Um, a lot of others in Europe are saying we should kind of take our time. Um, but they're still under a cover. And if they're having these problems now, after August 31st, I mean, isn't there an even bigger concern? Or are these just individual incidents do you know what i mean it's like you and i may know each other locally and uh, we represent different people we have a difference of opinion i start you know bullying you or you bully me it may not be the taliban per se but it's possible that they're local like that is have, is there any thought toward that at all or it doesn't really matter they they should go out of their way to make sure journalists are safe regardless yes i mean i think there are two questions i mean one Certainly, there are local, you know, journalists throughout the country uh, who have, uh, you know, an unfriendly relationship with the Taliban, and there has been retaliation in those cases. But in many of the cases we're dealing with, these are prominent national, nationally known, you know, journalists, um, and it's not a, it's really not a question of some local, uh, you know, a Taliban leader, uh, you know, getting angry at, at at some kind of report. These are these are obviously targeted. And that's not a good sign because right. we, we, we have to believe that comes from somewhere higher up in the, in, in the hierarchy of Taliban leadership. Yeah. I, and are you concerned about, you know, September 1st 
once the U.S. is out, it's such a major symbolic uh, date, regardless of whether we can or can't do anything at this point to protect people. But um, that date's going to be like, okay, now it's your ball. Um, how, are you able to monitor people? I mean, does the Committee to Pre Protect Journalists have people in Afghanistan now? Uh, we don't have our own people there. Uh, we are in touch with people on the ground. You know, I mean, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much of how no, we're no, operating I get it. there. But, uh, but yes, we're we're in touch with people, um, and we should be able to continue monitoring I mean, after the fact. Although there was a rumor that uh, the Taliban were going to shut down telecommunications, in which case that that creates a major problem. Yeah. Well, and can you tell us about any of the incidents that we know about um, that we're aware of of harassment? I mean, uh, how serious have they been? Obviously, bullying and intimidation is serious, but uh, at what level have these incidents taken place? I'll give you an example. Um, there was um, there were two women journalists, it turns out, in a safe house uh, in Taliban uh, in in, uh, in in Kabul. They emerged from that safe house and they were immediately recognized on the street um, by some local Taliban guards who who called after them and they ran away and. They don't have any place to go. I mean, I, 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 we're, we were, I think we were able to get them into a hotel finally, but uh, they couldn't go back to that safe house. Um, and they called out their names, not only their names, but other people on their news crew. So this is, you know, it's pretty serious. You know, I mean, if they had not got away, what would have happened to them? We don't, we don't really know. Right. This is a, it's very worrisome over there. And I, I'm, I'm looking at your report for our, our listeners. Again, I just want to remind them that we're talking with Stephen Butler, who is, uh, the uh, uh, Asia program coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists. And we're talking about the situation in Afghanistan. There have been a number of events that have been worrisome. Um, and on their website at cpj.org, um, you can look up Afghanistan, and they have a report about the Taliban taking two female state TV anchors off the air, um, that they beat two journalists, um, they, the CPJ has uh, urged the G7, correct, to uh, uh, protect and evacuate journalists and media workers in Afghanistan. Has there been any effort to, uh, have you seen an effort to, uh, from anybody to protect the journalists? I mean, other than statements from your organization and a few others? We are getting journalists out. Um, it's, uh, the numbers are, numbers are small. The um, I mean, we're, uh, we're cooperating with some diplomatic missions on the ground and they have been, they have successfully been able to uh, get people to the airport and out. Uh, the numbers are much smaller than, um, we would like to see, uh, at this point, we're still hopeful, um, you know, even in these last couple of days, if that's all that's left in the U S evacuation, we're still hopeful uh, that we can get many more out. I think after the U.S. leaves too. I, I wouldn't say that the door is closed on journalists escaping. I mean, and one of the reasons I say that is, you know, neighboring Pakistan has actually been quite open about providing visas and welcoming, you know, journalists uh, who have have to leave. This is, uh, you know, it's a very very positive thing. How they get there is another question. They, you know, Pakistan International Airways they they have canceled some flight this week. There, but they do have a regular relationship, and uh, there are the overland routes which are not terribly safe, but it nonetheless provides a way for, for journalists uh, to, uh, to escape somehow. Yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, anybody really had much 
effort to plan anything. Um, I know that we have a uh, uh, individual, an American that's still uh, help, being held by the Taliban. Frerichs, I think, is his name. And, um, you know, we only have a few days to get him out. Once we're out, it's going to be 10 times harder to help people. And I certainly don't want to uh, reveal any of the techniques and things that you're doing uh, because I think it's very admirable. I mean, this is a very fluid situation. We hope that the uh, Taliban is going to live up to its promises um, and, you know, maybe find a place in the world order where they can have a role. Um, but uh, how they treat journalists, as you note, is a significant barometer of what the future is going to be. No, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, the Taliban need international help. They need um, international financial flows. And the only way they're going to do that is by, you know, achieving some degree of uh, legitimacy, uh, including working with, you know, the former government officials and, and you know, f having some minimal standards of human rights. And, and as far as you know, that, I mean, do, they, do we know, do the Taliban have their own media? I mean, we know they have a spokesperson, which is kind of a first. Uh, that I've seen, but do they have, do we know if they have their own media and have you been in touch with any of their own media reporters and journalists? Uh, well, what they've done uh, in the provinces, not in Kabul, as far as I'm aware, is they've taken over some of the radio stations and kicked out, you know, the, the previous people and put in their own. Um, but but we, we have not had direct contact with them. You haven't. I mean, that's disconcerting too. I mean, going in, uh, changing these uh, stations that I, I don't know how you manage to, it, it seems like it's a lot worse than just a few incidents. Oh yeah. No over. I mean, this is a numbers out of date, but at least 50, you know, uh, news operations have been shut down across the country in the provinces. Um, it, and, is it a, do you think it's a concern? I mean, do you think it's an effort to be cautious on the part of some of the journalists and news organizations or have they actually been shut down by the Taliban? I think it's both. Uh, you know, the, some of the journalists, they see it coming and they, and they flee. They, they go into hiding because they're, you know, they don't want their head to be on the chopping block because nobody really knows. The ta Taliban has a history of brutality and many journalists have been assassinated, you know, over these past few years. Uh, so there's a, a high level of distrust. If you had a message for journalists in Afghanistan, what would it be? Be careful. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, watch your back. Uh, you know, look at frankly, look at our website. We have a lot of safety and security information um, that's that's available there. Take a look at it and uh, and have uh, journalists uh, reached out to you to the CPPJ and other organizations asking for help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you gotten have, a lot? It's in the thousands of, of requests for help. I, I mean, we're talking about Afghanistan. Thousands. Thousands. The, the media industry was one of the great successes of the last 20 years. You, you cannot say they created a successful democracy, but there was a thriving media industry and profitable, too. It's in, in Afghans, you know, they, 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 they uh, lapped it up. So. so there was a diversity in thought and discussion. And, uh, and during the past 20 years, was there a point where it was like hard to believe that things were going so well in terms of the news media? Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. was it really that good? I mean, you know, I didn't see it, you know, often, obviously, here in the U.S., but uh, was, it a, was it really a stable situation, a professional operation then? You know, very much so. There was a lot of international aid money from private foundations and from the U.S. government, USAID programs, that trained journalists, that provided seed money, and this just took off. 
Uh, I mean, that's that's what you know what I said earlier in, in the program that Afghanistan has changed, and that's something the Taliban, you know, they they're going to have to deal with it somehow. They're not. It's not the same country that they tried to rule, you know, twenty thirty years ago. Right. I mean, if they want to be accepted, it uh, listen. It, the media, our job as journalists, and you know, I'm not really so much a journalist as much as I am a, a opinion commentator now, and. Uh, I do some limiting, r- limited writing for Arab news newspaper, but um, our job is to bring up the issues and let society and government figure it out, and at least with some confidence. And it, it sounds like the media in Afghanistan was doing that, you know, for oh, a while. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the, if you even today you look at the news website, the you know Tolo news website. This is good journalism. Actually, they they learned the trade. They learned that you had to have facts. That you you need to have balanced stories. Um, this is you know it, this is a great success actually. And I know you've been in journalism a long time. Have had you ever seen a uh, an area where journalism actually started sprouting like a new plant in an area, and then it just kind of explode into a forest of because uh, from what you're saying, there was a lot of professional journalism going on there. I wouldn't say it's a completely isolated case. If you look at what happened in you know South Korea or Taiwan, um, and certainly there's a there's some of that there, and and in other places in Asia that you know some of it unfortunately has been snuffed out, uh, but but it it is remarkable you know certainly what has happened in Afghanistan. And, and I know you only have a few minutes I, uh, to actually stay with us, but is there anything else that you want to point out? Any other incidents that you want to share? Um, I, I, I want the public to understand, you know, how serious this is. Of all the things going on over there, I think this is the one thing. It's one thing to criticize journalists. You know, I get it all the time. Uh, it's not a problem. You know, I dish it out. I get it. That's, you know, that's part of the game. Uh, it's another thing to intimidate or bully or even cross that line and engage in some type of, uh, you know, physical violence or retribution. Um, has the line been crossed significantly or is this kind of like a, a feeling of things being pushed over the line um, and maybe there's still a chance to prevent it from getting worse? What's your sense? Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, in the morning I get up and we have this inbox uh, and it's filled with journalists saying, please help me. I'm going to be, I'm, they're going to kill me if you don't help me get out. And these, it's it's really hard to read through it. To be honest, um, we just hope and pray that those fears, those fears are well founded. But we we hope and pray that it turns out that you know the Taliban leaders, uh, you know, mean what they say when they say they want to have a free press. Um, we just uh, it's you know I mean I mean it's 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 tough, frankly. I mean, I, and the whole CPJ staff we have expanded. We've actually brought in new people uh, to to work on this because we get so many appeals. It's emotionally a very difficult thing. I, I couldn't imagine how you can handle that. Have you, uh, when, and when we talk about the, uh, uh, you know, evacuation of Kabul and Afghanistan under the U.S., the U.S. evacuation, is there a component for journalists that's taking place with them? Um, or is, you know, or is this done individually? Do you know what I mean? Is the U.S., no. has the U.S. Made, government made that a priority too to help these journalists? Uh, yeah, yes. Although, although it's very complicated, um, you know, as you've seen, uh, I think we now know that uh, journalists from the New York Times and, and the Wall Street Journal are ending up in Mexico. 
because Mexico has a more open door uh, policy uh, toward people seeking seeking refuge. You know, we've been uh, pr providing information uh, to the U.S. government about you know journalists who we think should be granted entry, and they seemed very cooperative. But it it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it still could happen. All right, listen, Stephen. First of all, my uh, hat goes off to the Committee to Protect Journalists. You guys do a great job. Uh, I don't know how I, I don't know if I could handle getting so many emails as you're sharing with us uh, from people seeking help because we know how serious that is, and I, I don't want to minimize that. That's very troubling, and you know we just hope everything turns out well. Um, I want to thank my guest uh, Stephen Butler, who is the uh, uh, Asia Program Coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists. Any final last-minute thoughts or anything you wanted to mention? before we say thank you and sign off? No, I would just say that, you know, get your congressmen, get your senators, uh, call the White House, say this is important. If the U.S. government <clears throat> is serious or if President Biden is serious about democracy around the world, this is an absolutely critical issue. It, it would make a big difference if the president brought this up, correct? I mean, on the national forum that he has. Yes, it would. All right, Stephen, listen, Stephen Butler, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate it. My guest, Stephen uh, Butler, uh, Asia Program Coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists, um, and their website is cpj.org. I'm Ray Hannania. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with another journalist, uh, Arab news reporter Zahid Hussein, who recently wrote a detailed and lengthy spotlight on what's happening to the people in Afghanistan. It was very fascinating. Um, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with our next guest right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seafood. DC guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Imagine you're on a train track. Somewhere miles away, a train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have pre-diabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? 
Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome, welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show. Um, I'm Ray Hanania here at uh, WNZK AM 690 Radio and WDMV AM 700 Radio broadcasting in Detroit and Washington, D.C. on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and also at Arab News uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash Arab News. Um, we're really on. We were just talking with Stephen Butler, the Asia program coordinator for the Committee to Protect Journalists, about the threats uh, facing journalists uh, in Afghanistan. And they seem to be ramping up. And uh, President Biden has said that we're out of here. He's not going to extend the deadline. He wants everything out by August 31st. I'm not going to, I don't know how he's going to be able to do that, but we have a great journalist on the line with us right now. He wrote this phenomenal, very detailed uh, spotlight on what's happening in Afghanistan. Zahed Hussein, who is with uh, Arab News. Uh, Zahed, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're very we're honored to have you. I know Zahid is an award-winning journalist and author, a former scholar at the Woodrow Wilson Center, and a visiting fellow at Wilson College at the University of Cambridge and at the Stimson Center in D.C. He is the author of Frontline Pakistan, The Struggle with Militant Islam and The Scorpion's Tale, The Relentless Rise of Islamic Militants in Pakistan. Frontline Pakistan was the book of the year in 2007 by the Wall Street Journal, and his latest book, No Win War, was published this year. Zahad, what is going on from your perspective in Afghanistan? How serious is it? How bad is it? Um, after August 31st, what are we going to expect? Well, actually, it's a very chaotic situation. It's largely because the way the Americans have decided to leave Afghanistan. So that is one of the major reasons for, for the chaos. The other thing is that um, it was expected or was foretold that uh, ultimately Taliban would be able to take over Afghanistan. But nobody expected things to move that fast. Um, well, people were anticipating that there will be resistance from the one national army and it will not collapse like this. In fact, we were all of the opinion that it may go on for uh, for a very long time, and there was a danger of of, uh, of Afghanistan plunging into yet another round of civil war. But whatever happened was uh, was uh, unimaginable. It was it, uh, within eleven days uh, they were there in Kabul, and they just walked into Kabul. So obviously it uh, caught everyone by surprise, and uh, that's one of the reason why why this chaos is. And we're hearing these uh, confusing and conflicting reports 
on the one hand, we saw the spokesperson for the Taliban. Uh, just being a spokesperson for the Taliban doing a media conference was a first. Um, and it suggested maybe they were going to move in the right direction. Uh, it's encouraged uh, a lot of people what they said. Um, but then on the other hand, in the other direction, we're getting reports of uh, uh, individuals, especially journalists, being harassed and bullied and you know, being threatened. And with the Committee to Protect Journalists just telling us that thousands of uh, journalists and writers are begging you know, for help to get out of the country. You think that's because this all happened so quickly and this is the confusion that we should expect? that it may settle down? Is there any indication that it's going to settle down in a positive way? Or do you see this getting worse? I mean, you're on the ground there. What do you think? Well, actually, I think uh, uh, the real problem is certainly yes, the, the way the things have moved so far. That was That is one of the major reasons for the current chaos. But on the other hand, uh, the very fact that Taliban are not in control of Afghanistan, it revived the memory of the old uh, past regime of Taliban way back in 1990 when um, they, they, they imposed a very harsh, regressive rule in Afghanistan. And particularly um, for women, it was a very hard thing to, uh, hardship uh, period. Um, they were banned from working, they were supposed to be in burqa, there was actually no access to education. And same thing actually at that point was such a regressive administration that even TV was not allowed and every man need, uh, was required to have certain size of beer. So those memories have come up, but uh, it's a 20 years now have passed since the Taliban government was toppled. And uh, what we are uh, uh, witnessing at the moment is that uh, one message is coming from the leadership of Taliban and that, that, that sound very rational and one could understand that, that present leadership of Taliban uh, has, uh, has a much greater exposure of, of, uh, of the world situation. They have been living outside the country for a very long time and also uh, they have been meeting the um, other leaders of the house. And so they all know that it is not possible to go back to the history and have the same kind of regime as they had actually in 1990. So what we are um, hearing from them is a very rational message that Taliban will not stop women from working, their, their human rights will be protected. And some of the things we have also witnessed that for the first time, um, uh, no television is allowed there. A uh, woman anchor was interviewing uh, uh, Taliban leader, those were very good optics. But the yes. problem is much more deeper there. The problem is that um, uh, uh, that uh, whether the commanders on the ground who had been trained in certain worldview, will they be amenable to change? And that's that's what exactly happening. Uh, that on the one side, uh, we've been assured uh, by the Taliban leaders that things will improve and they know actually how to, uh, to run the government in a modern era. Uh, but on the other hand, we still don't know that uh, it will be acceptable to the rank and file. So it is, and that's what actually we heard from um, from one of the uh, spokesperson of Taliban yesterday, that they need to first discipline their own ranks, then actually move forward. So that, that's one of the reasons for confusion. Yeah, and that's encouraging to hear that because uh, you, I can understand the, you know, the the confusion and the 
all the things happening so quickly, nobody was prepared, not even the Taliban. I mean, really, in terms of, you know, you would think that there would have been a more coordinated plan to help the, the, the Taliban, you know, come into government and run the government, get the rank and file in line, get everybody structured. I mean, to run a government isn't, you don't just get in front of a microphone and say, we're going to do this. Um, and I can imagine in individual cases where uh, rank and file members of the Taliban might be doing things on their own, you know, uh, because I'll tell you, honestly, in the last 20 years, uh, all I know of the Taliban as an American and a journalist and writer is that the Taliban were bad and now they're OK. And we hope that they become good. There's no middle ground that ever prepared me or the public to say they may return, you know, to power. Nobody ever told us that. Nobody, there was no message like that to the public. So it is a big shock. And I'm wondering, is the Taliban reacting to that shock? Uh, is it just disarray or is it, uh, you know, just uh, let's kind of look good until we have complete control and then do whatever we want? Should we be afraid at this moment, do you think? Well, really, I think uh, that, that's, yes, I think you're right, actually, that uh, the, the way things move, uh, it also came as a surprise to Taliban. They never expected that they would just walk into Kabul and take over the, the, the reins of the government. And, uh, and I think probably that's largely to be blamed, uh, President Ghani. Like it seems actually that uh, the Afghan army was supposed to be very well trained. They were trained and, and equipped by the Americans. Two hundred thousand, more than two hundred thousand forces, not a you know joke actually. And uh, uh, and also they had the best weaponry with them. And no no resistance at all. Kabul was taken without a fire. And in fact, actually, what Taliban were expecting, they they had decided to not enter the town, the capital. And wait for some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of uh, interim government to be people. So when uh, when everything fell, so it entered that. Now it seems actually they are not in fully in control of the situation yet. Uh, and I think probably uh, for it would happen to any government, I would say, uh, leave aside the Taliban. But um, and they are just actually trying to get um, get to grip the situation. And uh, so. Uh, this kind of chaos is inevitable. But no, but saying all that, the Taliban leadership also understand, you know, there's an international compulsion. There is, a, well, actually, as a, as a organization, as a, one of the major force in Afghanistan, Taliban were recognized by the world. In fact, actually, when Americans were talking to Taliban, it means they had legitimized that. In fact, actually, they had also, a, 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 you know, uh, uh, have realized or uh, understood that future they would have to deal with the Taliban because uh, and uh, so uh, but uh, now and they also the Taliban also understand they have been visiting different capitals of the world and their the message is the same all over whether they have gone to China Russia even meeting American delegates in Doha uh, they had also gone to Iran they have a whole relationship with Pakistan. So all the message is the same. Well, there has to be an inclusive government. And uh, you cannot run the way you run the, uh, the regime in, way back in 1990s. You have to protect the rights of women. Uh, 
so all that there they know and the other thing is very important is that uh, they, there is also a kind of some kind of understanding that they cannot live in isolation isolated from the world um, economic situation is pretty bad there um, and uh, how can they survive so all those factors are there so i think probably what we will see next few what happens next few weeks they are still they are talking with other afghan leaders that's a that's a quite change from uh, and break from the past uh, in the past they always believed that this you speak some kind of authoritarian regime by taliban no other political party or figures were allowed in but now they are at least showing some kind of compromise but on the other hand there is also contradiction on the one hand they are actually talking to other afghan leaders but on the other hand they also uh, you know have uh, announced to restore the islamic emirate uh, maybe actually uh, for time being but uh, they all have the clear, taliban have got clear message from all over from the regional countries particularly who had been sympathetic to them like china russia iran uh, that uh, islamic emirates is not accepted so that means that like, they need to have some kind of pluralistic system of government how do they do it is still to be seen have you talked to any of the former afghan officials i mean it it just seemed like normally you would think uh that they might be there the us would leave and they'd say okay let's all come together let's maybe have an election let's try to uh form a government maybe a national uh you know coalition together where everybody comes together um is there any talk about any elections or i, I mean it's all, we're talking about a group that's just taken over the country it's not like there's a question of who's going to be running afghanistan do the people have any choice and and uh, and maybe we're going to take a break in a minute but and we can talk about what you sense you know from the people their fear or confidence or whatever but um it seems like uh, this is a done deal the taliban's in charge are there going to be any elections has there even been a hint that oh yeah now that we're going to take over we're going to have an election <coughs> to make sure that uh, afghanistan is represented properly there they're not going to be elections are there no no i think nobody is thinking of it again at the moment you know uh, the real the, uh, what i call this original sin was the way that doha agreement was signed with uh, americans and that uh, and you know it was it, it seemed that americans were hurry and uh, leaving there obviously yeah. they had to leave i, I don't uh, but there should have been like uh, uh, there should be emphasis or stress on intra afghan talks uh, or uh, which could should lead should have left uh, led to some kind of political settlement that would have been ideal situation uh, doha talks yes actually that continued for 6 months you know, i'm talking about intra afghan talks but there were so many obstacles in the way because and uh, one has to also to blame ghani government they showed no flexibility and i think probably that was uh, uh, so it, that was the major problem that had there been any agreement uh, between uh, the two sides taliban and the afghan government or republic whatever you call it uh then i think situation would have not gone to uh, gone that bad and one should uh, there could have been an interim government now at the moment i think probably everybody agrees every country that there is no way actually elections could be held in afghanistan what everybody or the countries for to be neighboring regional countries are emphasizing and i think probably taliban also understand that there should be some kind of interim arrangement for next uh, uh, 
for two years or three years because the situation in the, in the country, like we all know, for 20 years the war had been going. In fact, the war had been going in Afghanistan for not 20 years but 40 years. Yeah. So, in a way, actually, this is not the country where you can, you know, after all that, uh, the war, you could just hold election. That's not possible at all. And I think probably the best scenario could be that Taliban um, uh, with other Afghan uh, leaders or uh, other section representative of uh, Afghan uh, population uh, should come together and form some kind of national government. Obviously, Taliban will have a dominant position. Uh, and I think probably that is the uh, the best scenario possible. But we should not expect the elections to be held. Yeah, this whole thing, honestly, to me, is very disturbing. I mean, especially the U.S. has invested so much in Afghanistan to see all this just uh, collapse. You know, maybe the changeover we can deal with, but there's absolutely no sense of where this is going to go. And I wonder, um, and maybe we're going to take a quick break here, but after the break, maybe you can help us uh, share with us your any thoughts or conversations you've had with uh, people in Afghanistan, leaders in the region over there as to who's to blame, who dropped the ball, you know, uh, you know, who, how could you just walk out and leave this thing in disarray that was so important to us, you know, over the last 20 years in the West. I'm Ray Hanania. We are talking with Zahid Hussein, who is an Arab news reporter, who did a phenomenal spotlight uh, recently in Arab News, and you can visit that at ArabNews.com. Uh, Zahid did a story, a spotlight on what's happening in Afghanistan, and we're speaking with him here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News Newspaper on the U.S. Arab Radio Network. We're broadcasting in Detroit on WNZK AM 690 Radio and in Washington, D.C., on WDMV AM 700 Radio, and we're streaming live on Facebook.com slash Arab News. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion with our distinguished guest uh, and reporter at Arab News, Zahed Hussein. I'm Ray Hanania. We will be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Enjoy the free Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu, like free cake, boise, grape leaves with steak, mishawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebab, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering, 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. Are you going to start a restaurant or grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Nachi Abood at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Nachi Abood now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design. 
the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design. New location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Najee Abood, 734-744-9796. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio, and we're also streaming live on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show here at the U.S. Arab Radio Network brought to you by Arab News Newspaper. I'm Ray Hanania. With me on online on Zoom streaming on the Arab News Facebook page at facebook.com slash Arab News is my guest Zahid Hussein. Uh, he is an Arab news reporter uh, covering that region, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, that whole area. And we were kind of getting a, uh, some information from him on what's happening over there. Uh, I know it's so confusing to a lot of people here in the U.S. and in the Middle East. Things have happened so quickly. And I know President Biden has said um, the U.S. is going to be out of there August 31st, which is like six days. Uh, and there's a mad rush to get people out of there because of fear that exists over there. Zahed, is there fear? Uh, do you sense when you talk to people, is it fear of the unknown or fear of believing that the Taliban is what they used to be, that maybe they haven't changed? Well, a little correction, Ray. I'm columnist for Arab News. Oh, uh, sorry. I apologize. Sorry. I apologize. So, columnist, uh, and there's a difference. You're right. I'm a, I'm a columnist that's an opinion writer. Um, that's right. I'm a, and, but that's yeah. why we love to have you on here today, because your opinion means so much. Uh, you've had so many years in journalism, uh, and to be able to share those opinions with the rest of us is a, is a great thing. Uh, yeah. what, what is the sense of people there? Are they, what are they telling you? Well, I can this is basically a, a kind of uncertainty which has gripped the city or gripped Afghanistan. Uh, and uncertainty in various ways. Uh, particularly, we feel uh, we see those people actually who were desperate to leave Afghanistan, who had in some way or others actually had worked with the coalition forces and also the, uh, had worked with the government. So there is uncertainty about what's going to happen. Uh, and although uh, Taliban have reassured that there will be general amnesty and that there, nobody will be victimized for whatever they did, uh, so uh, that but basically kind of kind of panic at the moment. And I think probably uh, to some extent it is basically the way Americans are trying to leave that has also added to the uh, to the chaos and uh, uncertainty. So people were thinking or when. They saw that everybody who could reach to airport will be allowed to leave the country. So I think that's one of the reasons. 
And I think uh, uh, that um, what we see in Kabul will be, may not be seen in other parts of the country. Uh, that's the situation is, is uh, uh, maybe actually there may be uncertainty, but not actually that kind of chaos we see. So, uh, uh, so that is the situation at the moment. So this is more of a fear of, uh, of unknown and what, going, what the Taliban dispensation uh, would look like. So that is much more of a thing. I think um, the Taliban are trying hard to, uh, to assure them that they're not going back to that old era of you know, regressive system. Uh, but uh, I think probably it will take some time even if they show some sincerity. Um, and uh, uh, also, actually, is that there's a difference uh, in different uh, or various parts of Afghanistan. When we see actually northern Afghanistan, the things are much more uh, you know, relaxed there, and uh, people have uh, the girls have started going to school because <clears throat> north has always been kind of more liberal uh, than actually south and eastern Afghanistan that way. So uh, in Eastern Afghanistan, uh, particularly, if you see the situation or the social condition, um, seems actually they're living in the, you know, the old, uh, old ways, actually. There's a huge gap uh, in Afghanistan, socially, culturally, between the rural Afghanistan and urban Afghanistan. Yes. So all those sectors and the Taliban were believed to be coming from mostly from the rural sector. So they, that, that's basically going to be seen that whether they will accept it some kind, this kind of change. Has there been any uh, role or involvement of Pakistan uh, to help in this situation? I know the U.S. is concerned about getting out of there, but, you know, that region is going to be left with whatever happens. And whatever happens could have a significant impact on Pakistan. Has, uh, what's happening with that between Pakistan and Afghanistan? Well, actually, uh, Ray, as we know, actually, that uh, they have uh, about 2,500 2, long uh, borders, uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan. And there is a pro ethnic proximity. Both, uh, both sides, uh, the same people live on both sides of the border, Kashmir speech. So we have seen, actually, what I think. Uh, I think we lost you, Zahid. Um, I hope we get him back because I was very interested in uh, that aspect. Um, you know, radio is, you know, radio verite. We go with the flow. Um, I don't know if you can hear me, Zahid. Nope, I think we... Yeah. Oh, there you are. Thank Sorry. you, Zahid. Sorry, Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's all right. Not your fault. Yeah. So uh, I think probably uh, th that's what I'm saying, that Pakistan, whatever happened in Afghanistan will have a direct bearing on Pakistan with such a huge border. Uh, and uh, so uh, Pakistan has been involved uh, in Afghanistan situation for a very long time. It, uh, it has been an ally of United States in this so-called war on terror, although there has been, you know, uh, the relationship has not, never been smooth despite all that. Right. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a little convergence of interest between the two countries. Uh, when it came to policy in Afghanistan, they cooperated very well, actually, when it came to uh, countering Al-Qaeda. Uh, but basically, Pakistan had a huge reservation on, on American policy or American, American strategy in fighting war in Afghanistan. So now, but uh, there, there is still convergence of interest between the United States and Pakistan. That somehow, the, the situation should be stabilized there. 
and uh, uh, in this present situation, since Pakistan is so close, like the closest country, uh, there have been a, uh, people have been airlifted from there by Pakistani Air, Pakistan International Airlines uh, plane, uh, mostly actually from international, uh, you know, multilateral agencies and also some of the, some diplomats. But not, uh, uh, but basically, the it is so enormous and massive uh, problem in Canada yeah. that uh, well, actually, that. There's a always a limitation to what uh, that country can do, but not the latest development. If you, you you might have heard about it, is that now Taliban are stopping those. They are allowing the foreigners to leave. They are allowing actually uh, 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 those people who had foreign passport to be airlifted. But now they have put certain kind of restriction on a one a one's time to leave uh, the country. So, so they're allowing they're allowing foreigners to leave, but they're not allowing any Afghanis to leave. It is the most recent. I mean, it, it, it did not happen uh, uh, for last ten, uh, seven, eight days. But now, I believe from uh, today, I heard that they have put up restriction and they have asked Americans not to actually you know, take out uh, or take out all the funds uh, if you were educated because it was leave of one started completely a desert intellectual desert they would not have people used to work in uh, this is a, a this is so troubling zahed you know when we hear these stories and again um it's the way that everything happened um because there is a sense isn't there among people that the taliban could become um a respectful member government of the United Nations representing Afghanistan and uh, that they will follow the, you know, international norms and respect journalists and expect uh, respect uh, people's rights. There's an expectation that that could happen. And I think deep down, everybody wants that to happen. Do you think that's going to happen given what you're well, seeing or is it hard to say? It is very difficult for uh, for an insurgent group which had been fighting for 20 years, and suddenly they find themselves in this different uh, in a role and trying to govern a country which is basically so divided and uh, and war ravaged. So I think probably uh, that is also one of the reasons. The second thing that you know, obviously uh, the fighters who had been there for so long, the commanders on the ground. They basically feel that they they had, were not even uh, not only fighting of foreign forces but also for certain ideology. So that this contradiction will be there, and I think probably that will be quite uh, quite uh, you know challenging for Taliban government. But I think uh, about other cities, what I am hearing from people is that uh, situation is quite normal, like uh, in in uh, other cities. Uh, that it's not as bad uh, as the incidents that we're seeing. Zahid, I, I have to say thank you. We're at the end of our time here at uh, uh, the U.S. Arab Radio Rayhan Ania show at, uh, brought to you by Arab News. Zahid Hussein, uh, Arab News columnist and opinion writer, great writer, too. you got to look up his stuff at ArabNews.com. Zahid, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Very informative. Thank you, Ray. All right, everybody. We'll be back. Uh, thank you. We'll be back next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Eastern Time here at the U.S. Arab Radio Network, brought to you by Arab News Newspaper. I'm Ray Hannity. I have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. The new MZK is available.